glad you're here. Uh, so last week, if you were here, we talked about Romans 14, this idea of accepting and welcoming our weaker brothers and sisters. And this week, we're going to pick up pretty much right where we left off because Romans 15 is just carrying that on. Because again, Romans is a letter. It's not really written like a book where you finish one chapter and then the second chapter start, the next chapter starts kind of a new idea, a new beginning to a new thought. It's really just carrying it on. They just separated it out by chapters to help people understand and, and help people find like where things are in the Bible. So he's really, this is just a carry, carrying on the same thought as Romans chapter 14. Um, and so we're going to pick up right where we left off and I'm going to read the last few verses of Romans 14 and then we'll move right into Romans 15 verse 1. So if you remember, he's saying, you know, the, the aim that we need to have is harmony. Um, we need to be all coming together, building one another up, uh, trying not to put obstacles in each other's, uh, you know, path and, and stumbling blocks. Um, and so he says, don't tear, this is verse 20 of 14, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. Again, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. Some of them were eating stuff that others, because of their religious upbringing, was like, I don't know if I can do that. And it was causing some trouble. He says, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep that between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. He says, so if you're stronger, if you don't struggle with some of the things that, that some of those other Christians who you feel like are weaker because of how they go about it, if, if you don't struggle with that, just be considerate of them. Be sensitive towards their weaknesses. He says, uh, you know, just, just watch out for them. Again, if someone, another Christian had a different viewpoint than you in this past week, which was possible that you maybe ran into a Christian that had a little bit different of view, a viewpoint on how things should be than you this week. Would the adjectives that described you be they're considerate and sensitive towards the other person? And if in this moment you're going, yeah, but well, like you don't fully understand the conversation. You don't fully understand what their other viewpoint was. Just I love the fact that Paul throws in this little reminder in verse one. He says, we need to be considerate about those who are sensitive things about like this. We must not just please ourselves. In other words, just a reminder, once again, it's not about you. We must not just please ourselves. He goes on in verse 2. He says, we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. It's our job to help them. It's our job to build them up. And there's a little actual better translation of this verse in the ESV. So I'm going to read a little bit of 
of that out of the ESV this morning. In Romans 15.1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2, he says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build them, build him up. So if someone who's a Christian completely failed this week, he says, it's your job to bear with them. Don't say, ah, forget them. Don't walk away. Don't give up. Don't slam them for what they said or how they failed or what they did. Don't pile guilt on them and pull a guilt trip on them. Bear with them and their, and their failings. Be pleasing to them. Build them up. Verse 3, he says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He says, he says this, and this is the interesting thing about verse 1. He says, not only does he say that we have to do this, bear with the failings of the weak, he says that we have an obligation to do this. And his reasoning is this, for Christ didn't please himself, but it's written that the reproaches of those who reproached you, that the things that people had against you, the things that people could have talked to you about, fell on me. He said, we have an obligation to bear with those who are weak, to help them to do what is right, to build them up. We have an obligation to bear with people in their failures. Why? Because Jesus stuck with us when we were weak. And to this day, Jesus continues to stick with us when we are weak. And Jesus stuck with us when we have failed. And Jesus bears with us when we fail now. He took our weakness. He took our failure. And he took it on himself on the cross. So if Christ did that for us, then we, as living sacrifices, as disciples of Jesus, as people who follow after Jesus, have an obligation, just as Jesus did, to bear with the failings of the weak. Jesus did it for us. Now we, who are living sacrifices, need to do the same. Because he did it for us first. Remember the parable of the servant where, where, Jesus, where Jesus tells the story of, of a guy who owes his master like hundreds and hundreds of bags of gold, uh, you know, years and years worth of wages. And the master forgives him because he goes and begs him. And he says, I can't, I can't pay. And he's going to be sold and his family is going to be sold into slavery. And he says, okay, you're forgiven. But then that servant goes out and throws the uh, servant under him up against the wall and d demands like his 10 bucks for his sandwich he borrowed the other day you know and and he and he throws this guy into prison and Jesus is like that that's not right that he's been forgiven much so he should forgive much and he says that he who has been forgiven little loves little, but he who forgives much loves much. That 
we have an obligation because of what Jesus has done. So this is uh, verse 2 through 4, just another way. He says, we should help others do what is right, build them up in the Lord, for even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. The fact that we've been forgiven, that our sin and our shame has been taken, and Jesus has taken them from us, that, that our, those, those insults, that sin, that shame, the, that reproach has been put on him, that the scriptures give us hope. That gives us encouragement. And so we have an obligation to bear with one another's weaknesses and failings. And look, I get it. Bearing with one another's weaknesses and failings, it is not fun. It's not easy. Believe me, I got kids. Bearing with failings and weaknesses, it's not just a great time. I'm married, you know. It, you don't stay married for years and years and years without having to bear with one another's weaknesses and failings. Because my wife fails all the time. And so do I. She has to bear with my failings. And those are many. I mean... I've been your guys' pastor now for a while. Look, I, there are times when I'm like, oh, Lord, why have you given me these people? Like, you know, I feel like Moses up here, like, you know, like, what have, what, what have you given me? But on the other side of that, I know for you guys, sometimes it's like, oh, Lord, why, the, why this one? Why did you give us this pastor? Like, like you know, I mean, that's the way it goes. That, that's the way... Life together works. We have to bear with one another's failings. When, when I'm weak, you got to bear with me. When you're weak, I bear with you. When your husband is weak, you bear with him. You forgive his failings. When your wife is, is, is failing, then you bear with her. That's how it goes. He, and he says, but we have this obligation because Jesus has shown us this mercy. And, and Paul knew that. Paul knew it wasn't easy. Paul knew it wasn't fun. Paul knew that it was hard. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. It's got, it takes endurance sometimes to put up with people. It takes, even other Christians, it takes endurance to put up with them. Our failings and our weaknesses. We're going to need God's encouragement some days if we're going to bear with each other. And, and Paul knew that, that some days, I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In the ESV, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together with one voice you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
again, he's talking to a church full of people that have come from different backgrounds, different religious upbringings, bringing in different ideas of how things should be to the church. And he's saying, look, bear with each other. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That when, when the ladies are up here singing, that, that Katie was singing the, the melody. Katie was singing one set of notes. Now, if Bethany was singing one, the same exact set of notes, and April was up here singing the same exact set of notes, then it all sounds exactly the same. But that's not how it worked. That's not how they were singing. If you were, if you were listening, Katie was singing a certain set of notes, and Bethany was singing a certain set of notes, and they were different from one another. But instead of saying, oh, no, 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 we can't do, we can't do that. We, can't, we have to, it has to be exactly perfectly the same or, or something's wrong. They let that dissonance work together to create harmony and it creates something even more beautiful. That, in, that they use the differences to create something beautiful. That's what he's saying. He's, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with each other. Not in perfect sync with one another. He's saying, look, okay, you've got Jews over here. You've got, you've got Gentiles over here. You're singing the same Jesus song, but it's, it's slightly off. It's, okay, so make harmony out of it. Make something beautiful out of it. And check this out. And he says, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Now, accord isn't spelled the musical way. If it was, it would just really all come together in a nice picture. But, but he says, when you're singing this way and you're singing this way, it creates this harmony. But then Jesus joins with you in that song. And it creates a chord which is a pun, I guess. But, but that, that when we're coming together, when we're bearing with each other's failings and weaknesses, where you'll just kind of like roll your eyes and go with it and just pray for the person, say, bless their heart. You know, you, you come together, but you let that bring you together. You create harmony. And all of a sudden, there's this supernatural thing where Jesus joins in that. And he says, therefore, when you're in, in harmony together in accord with Jesus, that with all one voice, you can glorify God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're all in, with Jesus bringing this glory to Jesus. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. That basically welcome the harmonies. Welcome one another. Be accepting of one another for the glory of God. That together, with one voice, you can glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he basically goes on in the next six verses to say, 
you know, some of you are Jews and Christ has accepted you. And then he goes on to say, some of you are Gentiles and Christ has accepted you just the same way. That Jesus came for all of us. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you because he's welcomed everybody. And he says this in verse 14 uh, through 16. He says, look, and I'm, he says, I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you're full of goodness. That, yeah, you might be singing slightly different tune, but I'm convinced that you're full of goodness. You know these things so well that you can teach each other about them. That, again, you're using this harmony to kind of help teach one another and help, help show one another and help build one another up. And he says, even so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, all of the things that I've said up till now, knowing that all you need is the reminder. That it's not like I just have to totally, you know, start from the beginning. You just kind of need a reminder. You just kind of need like a, hey, don't forget about this. Like, yeah, I know you have some dissonance. You have, you're off a little bit. But, you know, you just need this little reminder. For by God's grace, he says, I'm a special messenger from Jesus Christ to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. Now, hold up a second. Did that verse sound like another verse that we've read in the past few weeks? That last sentence? I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. What verse does that sound a little bit like that shares some of the same wording that we read a few weeks ago? When he says, I, I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. Check out Romans 12.1. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 16, he says, I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. In 12.1, in he says, I appeal you by your mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. Paul says he's bringing the good news so that the Roman people might present themselves as an offering to God. That by being the one who brings them the good news, that he has a hand in other people becoming living sacrifices. That, that by bringing them the good news, that he gets to play a part in that. That when somebody stands before God and, and says, I'm to be a living sacrifice, saying, like, God, I'm, I'm leaving it all behind. I'm completely uh, and totally yours. My mind, my emotions, my will, my, my rights, my desires, all of it. I'm giving it all up to follow you. 
He says, that's the reason I bring you good news is so that I can play a part in that. So that I might present you as an offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. Could it be that you, you sitting there in your chair, could it be that you, by the way you welcome and accept and love and bear with the weakness and failings of people, could it be that in doing so and presenting the good news to them, could it be that you have a hand in someone not only finding Jesus, but that maybe getting someone who is weak and failing to a place where they themselves are willing to become a living sacrifice? And not just, it's not just something that they do on their own, that they don't just come to be a living sacrifice on their own, but that you have a hand in bringing them to that point. That it's something you can have a part in so that they fail a little less and they are a little less weak. That you can help others become a living sacrifice and in the process... You're participating in discipleship, so you're becoming more of a living sacrifice as well. That as you're helping someone to become a living sacrifice, while you're walking that road with them and bearing with their weaknesses and thinking like, oh gosh, here we go again. Like, why, why do we keep circling back to this? Like, oh, you know. As, as you are doing that, you are saying, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about me, it's about lifting him up. And, I, and lifting him up means bringing them along. So you are becoming more and more of a living sacrifice, living out what it means to be a living sacrifice as you help present them as a living sacrifice. That as you are discipling somebody, that you are at the same time participating in the discipleship process of yourself. And check it out. This motivates Paul. This gives him ambition. In Romans 15, uh, 17 to 22, he says, Therefore I glory in my service to God. He says, this this presenting other people to be, to be living sacrifice, presenting other people as acceptable offering. He said, I, I glory in Jesus Christ for, because of my service. That I, that I, glory got to, I, I glory in Jesus Christ because I get to do this. This pumps him up. It, it gets him out of the, the bed in the morning. It, it gives him purpose in life. He says, I, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In wonders, or, or it accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. He, he said, it's not about me. I'm not going to make this about me. He, he said, I'm just going to glory because I get to serve God and it has nothing to do with me. I'm not going to talk about me uh, except that Jesus has accomplished so much through me. And in getting to lead the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Again, he's like, I've been able to do these signs. I've been able to do these wonders, but it's not about me. It's It's all through the Holy Spirit of God. He says, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Irelium, he says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, he says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I wouldn't be building on somebody else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered in coming to you. He says, look, I've been wanting to come for a while. I've been wanting to come visit you, but I haven't yet because I've had work to do. I have, to, I have the gospel to get out. It's my glory. It's the thing that gives me enthusiasm. It's the thing that gives me ambition. That people who don't know Jesus will hear about Jesus. He says, it's not about me. These signs I give, these wonders I give, these miracles that I've been able to perform, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit through me. That those who haven't, haven't been told will see and those who haven't heard will understand and so that I might be part of helping present other people as an acceptable offering to God. He said, I glory in that. I glory in that. I glory in the fact that I have to bear with others' weaknesses and their failings, even when it's hard sometimes. Welcoming and accepting those who are weak. Being careful not to put obstacles in people's way and, and, and stumbling blocks. Loving others, subjecting myself to the governing authorities, like I talked about in chapter 13, building one another up, working together, using our gifts together, like I talked about in chapter 12. For Paul, for Paul all of it is fuel for this passion of helping people come to a relationship with Jesus. All of it, whether it's loving people and bearing with, with the failings of, of, of other Christians or Whatever it is, it's all this fuel for this ambition that he has for the gospel and for people to know about Jesus for, and for opportunities for him to tell people about Jesus so that he gets to help do a little part in presenting them as a living sacrifice. You know, I, I've talked a couple times about my neighbor, Betty, that... Over the years, I've talked to her a lot about Jesus, um, and it, and it was, I got the honor of uh, about two months ago baptizing her in the Hawking River, not quite the Jordan, but close. That I got the honor of baptizing Betty, and uh, and and knowing that Betty knew Jesus and had a relationship with Jesus. Uh, but Betty died uh, uh, last Friday. She passed away from a combination of congestive heart failure and, and, uh, and COPD because she smoked and drank a lot, and that's what happens. But last, fr- last Friday when she died, and they asked her, you know, are you good with us taking this mask off that's helping you breathe in this tube that's and and she said I've got God and I've got Jesus so I'm good and it was cool because I wasn't there when when she passed away but I was talking to her sister the next day 
And she said, you know, it was weird because and her sister and her brother and son, they're not believers. And, and I, I was talking to them and and she said, you know, it was weird. We were sniping at each other all day. We were all in bad moods. We were all kind of yelling at each other and, and mad and angry. But she said, then right before Betty passed, this like unexplainable peace just came over the room. And just everybody just settled in to this peace. And she said, and then this look of contentment came over Betty's face like I've never seen on her face before. And I couldn't help but think that was the moment Jesus was stepping into the room to, to step her into to heaven. And that just Jesus' presence there just completely changed everything. And she said, so, she said, so thank you for for giving that gift to my sister. And I was like, well, that wasn't me. That was Jesus. But, but here's the cool thing, is I got to have a hand in that. I didn't do that. Jesus did that. But I, I got to have a, a small piece of that, a, a hand in that. I got to you know, give her a hand as she stepped into heaven. And... I mean, it's, it, God's word is so true. You know, I had to bear with her because she was the, the neighbor that would come over at 1030 at night and have had one or two many and, and you know, be sort of ranting about things. I, I had to, to, to bear with her. I had to not get offended because she had plenty of things that were offensive you know, all the neighbors, you know, talking and saying, like, yeah, like, they're, like she pretty much offended all of our neighborhood at one point or another. You know, there were plenty of things that I could have been offended about. I had to, and I had to bear with her failings, and she had plenty of them. And I had to love her like Jesus would love her. And I thought about that different times, where it was like, Oh, here we go. Like, okay, I have to love her like Jesus would love her. And there were times when I'd tell Bethany, like, if I'm not back in an hour, call me and need something. Because, you know, because there was just a lot. But I had to love her like Jesus. And, and it wasn't just me. It was, it was my, my whole family loved this, this lady down the street. But instead of acting like her judge and judging her for her failings, I stuck with her. I helped, with, helped her, even when she continued to fail most of the time. You know, we had some great conversations about Jesus while she was smoking a Marlboro and drinking a Bud Ice. You know, it, it was a process. but I had all kinds of opportunities to get judgmental, but I just bared with her and tried to help get her closer to Jesus. But when she died, I got to have a part in handing her off. 
And so it's like Paul said, it's not something I, I'm not bragging about it. I'm just saying that it, that was so good. Like, it was so good to know that when she died, this lady who had little hope in this world, who was depressed, who was, had every vice imaginable, whose family didn't come around very much, who didn't have hardly any friends, that, uh, that I, get, I got to have a small part because of, of just how I was able to, to love her like Jesus loved her, and because of what the Holy Spirit was working on me with, I got to have a hand in her being presented to God. And that's so, and I'm saying that was so good that I'm about ready for another chain-smoking alcoholic who has a hoarding issue, like, to move back in next door. Like, bring it on, because I want to be a part of that. I want to get a part of that again because it was cool it was hard it was messy it was but I want to be a part of that again it's fuel it was fuel for Paul he said this is my ambition so what if welcoming others and accepting others and aiming for harmony and bearing with, with weaknesses and just enduring with them as they try to follow Jesus. What if, what, if, what if striving for harmony and sticking with them, enduring with them, even if they didn't vote for the same guy that you did? Like, what if all of that and aiming for that harmony and just bearing with weaknesses, enduring with people as they follow Jesus, instead of putting a bunch of stumbling blocks in their way, and not arguing, and all the other stuff that we've talked about the last two weeks. What if all of that gave us the opportunity to help someone else present themselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, as their acceptable act of worship? And what if instead of looking at it as a chore of endurance, what if we looked at it as fuel for our ambition to be on mission with Christ? Like, oh man, I get to do this. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it because they got to know Jesus and they, have, they, they can maybe let somebody else know Jesus. So let that become the fuel to help us find the lost and equip the found. Because that's what it was for Paul. He became a living sacrifice and in doing so was able to help Others become a living sacrifice. It was his fuel to be a missionary wherever he went. We're going to have a missionary here next week. That's his fuel so that other people will know Jesus. Loving, welcoming, accepting, bearing with. Think, think, of, think of Paul in Athens. Surrounded by these statues of other gods. There's plenty for a good Jewish boy to be offended about there. There's, there's so much that Paul could have just straight up judged them on. How can you call yourselves a Christian? You want, you want to try to follow Jesus? Well, why don't you knock down all these idols? Think of all the bearing with he had to do sitting there in the middle of all these idols. You know, a good Jewish kid would have been like, I'm not sitting around there. You want to talk to me, you come to the synagogue where us good Jewish boys 
hang out. But no, he bared with them. He stuck with them. He, he endured it. He didn't judge them. He was welcoming. He was accepting. He said, man of Athens, I see you have all these idols around. You have all these gods. He uses a little quotation from one of, one of their poets. He's welcoming. He's accepting. He's bringing them in, accepting them as they are. And then he addresses them where they were about Jesus. Because all of this was fuel for him. What if all of the life that we've talked about in Romans 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, what if that was your fuel to ignite revival? And for you to be on mission with God. That it, your focus on Jesus, your, your ambition for other people to meet Jesus, that, that it didn't matter. All the other stuff didn't matter. It doesn't matter who's on, in the White House. It only matters who's on the throne. Amen? So get your focus off all the other stuff that's all going to pass away anyway. And fix your eyes on Jesus. And fix your eyes on your king and what he's called you to do. And be filled with the king's ambition. May that be our fuel. Let's pray.